This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I am Bob. Today we're doing Clan Book Gangrel, which is what is expected to, of us yes. by the listeners. We're also going to have a super secret surprise for all of our listeners, which really isn't a surprise if people like know what's going on with the, the Vampire the Masquerade books. And uh, then we're going to have, oh, yeah, it's just podcasts all day long. Honorable just, Cord today too, yeah? Yeah, Honorable Got Cord. Um, and then I guess probably a Nerd Words, but you know, most people will get that on Sunday. So. Got it. I don't know. It's going to be crazy. But uh, I figure since we're doing all of this crazy stuff and we're splitting it into four different parts, the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to read a comment that was sent to us from one of our fans, listeners. This is a comment that we received on the Malkavian Clan Book Revised uh, podcast that we did. And it's from Logan. And Logan says, hey, Nate and Bob, thank you so much for all the work you guys do. I've been a long-time listener, and you guys even answered a question I had back on the first edition Malkavian podcast, uh, which I thought was awesome, Malkavian being my favorite clan. So, I'm currently playing a Malk with the auditory schizophrenia derangement, which manifests itself as the voice of God, or so he fervently believes. An issue I've been having is that my ST has only given me one instance where this has come up, and we've been playing for a good chunk of time. My question is, how much of my derangement do I manufacture myself, and how much is made by my ST. An idea I've been incorporating is buying fortune cookies and treating them as uh, treating the fortune as the session, session's message from God. <laughs> Creative. Anyway, I'm not sure if I'm going over my ST's head or if I'm not doing enough on my end or if I just need to have a sit down with my ST. I would really appreciate any guidance you could give me, even if I can't get uh, that you guys do. Even if I can't, I get that you guys do have a lot going on. So regardless, thank you for your time. Thank you, number one, because joke's on you. We made time. And it's never it's never a bad idea to ask because we will eventually get to all of them, I like to think, um, in one shape or form. But that's a really good question. Uh, I want to add real quick, we're going to do this two-parter because I know Nate has definite insight in this as well. Uh, he, he's, mouths are fun for him to play me yeah. too, but I'm going to attack the ST portion. Yeah. You want to tackle how-to? Sound good? Well... Yeah, I mean, um, I'll wait and see if our opinions coincide. Got so it. you might either get something super insightful from me, or you might just hear, yeah, me too. <laughs> right. So the uh, ST portion is, um, and you may not even realize you asked that, in terms of your relationship with your storyteller, it sounds like you got a real, it's not as open door as I, as I like to think that they all should be. And, and it's not a bad thing. It just means either you guys haven't really talked about it, or just the way it's been handled just hasn't come up. That's possible. I absolutely would, would talk to your storyteller, but insight, a storyteller is a lot going on right. in what they're doing. They don't necessarily, they, they don't have the time to give you all the input you need for your character and the Malk you built, any Malk that gets built, it's a demand that you stay on top of your own derangement. And yes, you will need storyteller input when it's going to impact others, but this is really impacting you. So to that angle, I like the fortune cookie idea. But you shouldn't stop there because literally if the voice of God is talking to you and it's constant because that's that's the curse. Mm -hmm. Dude, free free flow that stuff. Yeah. Go with it. And that's and that's OK. And then wait for your if it were me, I would wait for my ST to talk to me to find out where that baseline is. 
usually they should be fine with you doing what you're doing. You know, I've, uh, I've seen different types of some STs want to be more controlling than that. And if that's what you've experienced, then yes, you definitely have to talk to him because he's not giving you the attention normally given. If it's a situation where this is the first time you've done it and you don't know, dude, go with your creativity because creativity gets stifled when you start asking permissions. Right. Wait for it to be a discussion brought up naturally. It's like they say it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Um, I, I, in a lot of ways, I agree. I feel like, you know, your character is what you made. So there is some onus on you, but I, I think really what you fundamentally need to do is before the game session starts, just talk with your storyteller and go, hey, you know, I noticed like in, in the game, like this hasn't really been addressed too much and it's a really important factor yep. of the character. So how do you want to do this? Do you want me to like basically be in charge of that or do you want to give me stuff or, you know, just just so we know going forward because, man, there's a lot of limitations to my character and I, I don't want to make other people at the table feel like I'm getting all this reward and none of the, the, the bad stuff. I feel like if you paint yourself in a position where you're genuinely asking the question like, hey, how do we do this? And also, you know, I want fairness for all the other people. Your storyteller, even if they're less receptive to, you know, input creatively, they're going to be more likely to give it to you if you present it in such a way. Like, hey, you know, I just want to make sure everybody's getting treated fairly. And I don't want people to think that, you know, maybe I'm, I'm getting over because I have this Malkavian and none of the bad stuff's happening. And I, and I will tell you something I tell Nate a long time ago. I, I appreciate this in any player. I do this myself. I refuse to mute myself. I refuse. Now, if I'm being disruptive, that's different. Right. Right. But then I still expect my storyteller to talk to me about that disruption. But if the disruption is coming from genuine role play, if it's coming because I'm playing my character 110%, if it's coming because I'm providing entertainment, it's one thing to be overshadowing, overdoing it to where you're taking up the, all the table time. That's your bad. But if it's a thing when you're, you're all in the same scene and you're all acting, but you're the one that keeps shining, keep shining. What's going to happen is they will naturally move to, to pick up. Everyone else will try to at least get to where you're at. And it's the storyteller's job to note that's what's going on and to divide up the attention accordingly. Because if you're doing the shining, we really don't need to pour more fuel on your fire. Right. You're going to do it naturally. So I need to get those people who are less hesitant to step up to step up. And where that came from is because Nate made a comment, which I don't know if you remember this, Nate, a long time ago, you said the same thing to me about a Malganti you played, or excuse me, a regular Malkavian you played in a live action game because you used to do the work mm -hmm. and you fleshed out your character right. and you kept submitting stuff week after week and you saw that you were getting more XP than everybody else and you started to feel guilty about it and you were like, I don't want to outshine everybody. And I did I not tell you, I don't give a damn about everybody else right? because I don't. I care about them, but you have established a level that they have to reach to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, naturally that that should be the case. If you you're going to you're going to be encountering two schools of thought. One school of thought is, dude, why do you need so much attention? blah 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 blah. And it's like, well, obviously I play a role-playing game, so yeah, I need attention. That's natural. Um, right. but also, you know, I I'm dedicated to my character. I have creatively thought this character out i understand what motivates this character and just like a real human being right if i if i know what motivates me as a person i'm gonna act when it's in my favor i'm gonna act when it's not in my favor i'm going to act at all times the character that you make should be the same way in yep. that regard like obviously you haven't lived that character's life but you have enough understanding on how to portray it you know and everyone 
is going to look at you and that 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 those two schools of thought are going to are going to come about either they're going to be resentful and maybe this isn't the game for them maybe gaming in this traditional sense isn't for them or they're going to go he's got it under control i want to be on the same level as him i also want to get stuff done so i'm going to raise my bar right or this is how leaders are created and and leadership emerges in every facet of our life it emerges in tabletop gaming, it emerges in collectible card gaming, it emerges in every kind of social interaction, right? There's a person who knows what they're doing or can move with confidence, and there are other people who want to, whether consciously or subconsciously, emulate that because they see your success, and they're going to try to step up their game too. But I really think you should have a conversation with your storyteller, and it should be a conversation of, hey man, I just want to get the best out of my character as possible. And your storyteller is either going to go, yeah, I've got some ideas. My apologies that, you know, kind of slipped my mind because we're doing a hundred things. Yep. Or they're going to be like, no, man, you, you, I'm going to leave that in your court. I'm going to leave you to role play that. And as need be, I'll give you stuff as a storyteller. Personally, I can say that there, uh, there have been a couple of occasions where I've had Malkavians and I was just like, look, you know what your derangement is, right? If there's something that is pertinent to the story that I'm telling that's going to emerge from that, that I can utilize to bounce that off of, I'll do that. Otherwise, you know how to role play that. You know what's going on inside your character. We'll get to the personal horror when the, like the whole coterie is off doing their other things. Right. You know, for me and a Malkavian, it's those moments when you're alone that I think the horror really starts. And I think that's for anybody, anybody that has any kind of like emotional issue you know, when you're alone, or, you know, I guess you could have the opposite end where you can't, you freak out when you're around people. Whatever the situational opposite right, is. Right, you got it. So so when we're storytelling, like it's going to be those individual moments where you really dig into the personal horror of that. And just a fun tip, what I would do is there's tons of random generators for quotes. I would look up Bible quotes, especially, and then I would also look up just re- regular famous quotes. And I would treat those as the word of God as well for your derangement if you need inspiration, but make them yours. Don't take them, don't directly take them ad hoc. Mm -hmm. Definitely mold them to where it could be something weird or maybe even existential uh, to what you believe you're being told. Or alternatively, you may work out some sort of um, concept with your storyteller where the voice of God is very much like a radio that's out of tune. That in most circumstances, you just hear that voice and you know it's someone from beyond but you can't quite make it out until you can. And when your storyteller's like, here's, here's the message you've received today. Here's what you were able to dig out of that, that, you know, those voices that you couldn't quite make out. And that's a good call if you have the oracular ability merit right there. Yeah. So it's when they're ready, they're engaged. Right. Alrighty. So clan book gangrel, <laughs> let's, let's move on to that. So, um, we all we all know and and love the clan Gangrel, right? But um, what are we really digging into here, Bob? Like, what what are we really? Uh, what are the major differences going from the first clan book to this revised edition? What first hit me was how non listened to the elder on the mountain this was. Yeah, this was less word of mouth and more of, hey man, I researched this. Yep, you know, I took a, and he says it right in the book, right? The narrator does that he tried to follow up good old Dr. Raul King and not all of what he said is wrong, but let's just say he, he got some completely off the mark 
and he wanted to strain some things out. For example, I like his take on the whole lupine thing. The first clan book would have you believe the Gangrel's job is to run out to the woods and meet the local lupines and make friends. Right. Like, it's, do it's, it. It's happened, right? Right. <laughs> you know, right? That, that's really how it's presented. Like, hey, you know, you may have a different experience, but we were able to kind of like skirt the line with the lupines a little bit, create that special relationship. And that was the thing I always had an issue with in the first book. I was like, I mean, what makes you less of a vampire than any other vampire? And, and the fact of the matter is, is that it says flat out that the guy's like, your experience is going to be getting your ass torn apart. Right. That's nine times out of ten. Rao King's in his own level. His own, he did something right with whatever local vampire or local lupine age group that was that said, yeah, cool, he's around. That's the weird wolf that minds his business. Or Rao King's such a badass, those lupines aren't strong enough to kill him, and he hasn't done anything to warrant them a direct attack. Right. Who knows what the situation is? But off the bat, he makes that distinction. He also talks about, yeah, you know what? I, I decided to put some science behind this a bit. Make it more linear. Something that goes from the beginning to the modern. It kind of gives you a real take on what we were about and what we were doing as far as Gangrel. And I found it fascinating. I, I did enjoy it, right? Right. But I'm big. With these, with these revisions, I pay attention to the history. That's where the culture, you know, the culture comes later, to be fair. But you get the basis from what's going on, right? right? And so for me, it's night and day. Right. You know, that clan book gave a real conv the first one real convoluted. This one, definitely linear, something easy to follow. And in particular, talking about Cain. Right. That cracked me up when he was like, was, what was it, 10,000 years ago or BC, as it'd be called? Or technically, right. it, he's it'd like, be 12,000 like, years ago? Are the, are the Christians right that, like, God put dinosaur bones in the ground to fuck with us? Or, like, <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. You know, no no written record has survived from back then, and our clan, even worse, typically doesn't keep them. So it's all word of mouth, and who knows, right? But he definitely says, it's not fuck it. Right. It's we have a working idea. This book, more than any other so far, comes together to say, we all have an agreed upon thing of what probably happened. Nobody says it's factual, but this is what seems to be the truth. Right. This is as we've learned and got together and said this has to have been what went on. Like, case in point, he grills the Anoya idea. Anoya right. is the, in, in Gnostic um, myth, is allegedly... The female half right, of God. Right, the female half of God. And he's like, well, let's assume that wasn't her. Okay, <laughs> let's assume our founder wasn't her. Right. So let's go with the most likely, that it's the female vo form of Inesh, mm -hmm. which is Enoch. So that makes sense. And she was just one of the, one of the, one of the third gen. Mm -hmm. That's what she was, just to chill, just doing her thing. And, you know, describes, though, that there's another story that was said about her, that she came, she was raised by wolves, and then she went into the city, had some sex with, with some men, and, Bunch then of sex. and then produced lupines. Right. She birthed the lupine species. It's like, well, in his wording, yeah, no, we could pretty much say that didn't happen. Right. That's so, highly unlikely to be true. Hmm, be really... <laughs> Yeah, so, really so none, none of the husbands knew she was pregnant. Uh, <laughs> and and th that's the one thing I, I want to just mention before like we move on. For me, when I get enjoyment out of a clan book, it's because I really enjoy the voice that it's written with. Yes. Right? And you'll, you'll hear me talk about that a lot, right? And everybody writes with a voice when they write in this way, when they write in sort of like a journalistic fashion. And... The Gangrel Clan book, even if I'm like at the end of it, I kind of was like, ah, I didn't gain much. 
I still enjoyed it immensely because I enjoyed the voice that was used when writing it. Right. You know, I enjoyed hearing what that individual or those individuals in the book had to say. And, you know, for me, like the Gangrel Clan book, I've, I, we've we've read it multiple times, right? Yep. It's just impossible this far out. There's, you know, all of our all of our clan books are dog-eared and beat up, and <laughs> you know they're they've been well used throughout the years. Or three or four copies going. My God, why do we keep buying it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you you lose one, you buy a new one. You find you the find, one you lost. Right. <laughs> so, um, or you know, alternatively, when you have a gaming community, people come, they take books, they leave books, and suddenly, ten years down the road, you're like, how did I get? five gang girl clan books what the hell is going on here <laughs> so yeah but th- that's the for me the big takeaway is the enjoyment of the writer's voice or the voice that they use to write the book i agree and uh so i mean skipping ahead because obviously that it's it's a good book right um just to get two different perspectives and that's how my advice is flat out if you haven't gotten this from the podcast so far read both read the first edition the second edition and bring them in game as two perspectives right from two different writers in the clan who felt they should go out and make a cohesive document for everyone new or even the old to get an idea of what everyone's thinking to find a common ground. Right. They're good for that. And I prefer the revised. That's just where I'm at. Um, now, and that'll be important later. But anyway, going forward, I always like talking about the most uh, pivotal point for the Gangrel clan, I'd say. And that's the time of uh, the, um, the Genghis Khan, right? The mm-hmm. Mongols coming through, kicking ass and taking names, terrifying Europe. Right. Why I like it. It's because when he gets there, he's like, without contest, that was the era of badasses. There is no, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's never been an army so, so demanding, so just overbearing, so successful as that one to date. Now, what he means by that is it's a barbaric horde that came in, fought on horseback, didn't even need armor, but they had it, very little of it. Shooting on horseback from turning around from behind, all these things they did, man, could they fight? And that's all they knew. To the gangrel, well, clearly that makes sense why they gravitate toward it, right? Right. These are people who live hard off those steps, and that's just what they had to do. But then decided, we're going to take over everywhere. And that was the plan. And he, yeah, Arnulf was a gangrel he mentioned in there. is a famous elder amongst the gangrel who got involved in a lot of wars. You know, not just what the Mongols did. But why that's so pivotal is that you had your key people come out of there, right? You had Karsh come out of there. You had Arnulf who had a hand in it. Uh, you had Alana Jav for the for the Sabat in there, if they're different, that uh that went in there too. But yeah. the, but the point is, this revised is something brilliant. It doesn't mention those famous people in it, but it paints you the story of what went on during it that all the Gangro agree what happened. In other words, it cheekily provide a focus. Right? This is our favorite era. Pay attention to that. Right. And then move on. Well, that's that's a really important factor, I feel like, uh, for me when talking about the clan there isn't a clan structure right they're not in the same like they're not even in the same vein as like clan bruja where clan bruja has a lot of like internal chaos they at least have this sort of um unifying almost codified belief system um that's presented very limited clan structure but the gangrel clan their, their one unifying factor is, well, you've been embraced. <laughs> um, hopefully you, you do well. Um, see you around. Uh, and, and that's it. So the clan is very much like, um, you know, a clan of solitary wanderers. 
You know, you're not typically going to find a pack of Gangrel. You're not typically going to find, you know, you walk into a city and there's a clan structure. But you could, right? Because they're not defined by that individual clan ideal. Like, talk about Milwaukee, for instance, right? Milwaukee has their erstwhile prince, and he's mentioned in this book as well. Now, there's a guy who has a structure. Why does he have a structure? Necessity. He made a structure because he needed a structure. But that's not something that's indicative of the clan. You know, it's very much like, hey, I'm a gangrel. Uh, I'm going to survive. I'm going to live off the land. And they're very... My opinion of the clan is this. I feel that clan gangrel exists because they are a stereotype of vampires, right? They're very much like controlling nature and manipulating it and very animalistic and that's necessary right because that is a that is a concept of vampire fiction uh and not to say that gangrel is bad because they're a stereotype but to a certain degree they exist in a one-dimensional sense and it's up to you the player to to grow them into three dimensions i kind of feel that maybe john carpenter brushed against this clan book a bit uh, before he made the movie John Carpenter's Vampires, naturally, because his vampires in that film emulate a lot of the Gangrel mythos in terms of, I said mythos, let me take that back, the Gangrel um, specifics, right. biology, right. the ability to sink into the earth, uh, coming out and they have a master vampire or a super predator that the others kind of gravitate to, but they never get into the culture that those have. It's just you, you see them attacking the hunters, trying to kill them, and that's right. where it turns into a typical whatever film. But if you look at it, um, the gang girl as a whole care about the predatory nature because that's who they are. Right. That's what they are. And this book gets into that. And it gets into that in the perspective of, well, you were embraced. You were left alone. You had to figure out what you are. You were strong enough to figure out who you were. And then a year or two later, your Sarah comes back, then starts teaching what it is to be a gang girl. And there is something to being a gang girl. But most important, it's you are able to be self, self-containing. Right. No one needs to hold your hand to tell you you're a vampire. You've known that. No one needs to come around and tell you you're a predator. You had to feed. So that that nuance of, of romanticism, of uh, I always find it weird when people have a child and they, and they just dote on them. Yeah. Right? When it's like, yeah, they're, they're adults that you embraced. Right. Ideally. You don't need to dote on them, but help them understand that humanity lost, that tragedy. Okay. Right. That has its place. But no, you're dealing with predators, not children. And Gengor are like even worse. You know, to me, if you started crying because you fed on a kid in a frenzy as a gangrel, you're going to get slapped. Right. It's like, stop, <laughs> stop crying. Why? Because we got to clean this up now. Right. Let me, sh- how are you going to clean it up? I'll help you with it. Why? Because I'm your sire now and your means of like draining it as much as you can and butchering in the tub. What are we? Yeah. You know, yeah, let's, right. let's figure out there are better ways. So here are some things that I really like about what they sort of um, explained or changes that they made in the revised edition. We know, uh, and you don't get spoiler alerts, it's 20 years out, but we know that the Gangrel en masse left the Camarilla, right? right? We know that Xavier, the Justicar, walked in, talked to the Inner Circle, said something because he saw something very terrible, and he was like, peace, I'm out. And to me, that was a very smart move on White Wolf's part because Clan Gangrel really... They, they don't have political affiliations. As a clan, they shouldn't, 
right? They're very much loners or groups of loners. And taking that clan and removing them from the politics makes a lot of sense to me. Um, also, uh, you know, getting into some of those characters and going, hey, these are these are personalities that happen to be Gangrel. And yes, some of them do have political affiliations, but here's this very kind of general vampire. And they can kind of go around and do whatever they want, but it's because of those political affiliations. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but like a character like Beckett, I feel like that type of character couldn't exist in any other clan because there would be too many political affiliations that would be pulling and tugging on him. I feel like Gangrel are kind of tailor-made for that. Like, I I can be an autarch, I can be independent, and I can kind of move freely. You know, obviously he's had to cultivate his his influence, he's had to cultivate his friendships, but he doesn't have the same kind of restrictions that, say, a Tordor would have. He doesn't maybe have the same predilections or the same outlook. He has a much more predatory outlook coupled with his intellect. And I think that's where Gangrel kind of shines as a clan. I never really read uh, that from Beckett. Uh, I see it, though. Like, when you say it, I could see it. Um, I never took him that way. I, because gang, I feel that individuals are what make vampires, or I've right. always felt that. But Clan Gangrel does have a political structure. They have things they can call, or all things. And there's enough respect in the clan that they respect their elders. Right. You respect an older predator, not just because of age, but because age is power. They know that. So if somebody's been surviving longer than you, you pay attention, whelp. That's the point. Right. And so you give that. And so Beckett's one of those people who goes around and people listen to him because he's made his, his, his chosen prey knowledge. And they know that. And the way he hunts it, Nobody stops them. Nobody gets in the way any more than anybody else stops any gang right. girl from going to do what they do, or any vampire for that matter. Can another person, another clan, do it? I think they could, and yeah. I think they could. But here's the thing: Beckett's unique because it's Beckett, and he is unique. Right. That's what makes him unique. What I mean uh, to say is there seems to be less likelihood of machinations from the jihad due to his lineage. Whereas, like, if Alessandra... Oh, older gang girl's giving a shit. Right. What he does. You, you're manipulating talking, him. You're talking Methuselahs from on high. Right, right. Trying, I, I'm, I'm talking, like, deep in the in the recesses of darkness, you know. They're Elder Torador that will potentially... This is all hypothetical, but could potentially manipulate a Torador of the same, you know, bent. Or same thing with the Bruja. But I, Gangrel... I, the the ancient Gangrel are less likely to be able to talk as to give a shit about history. You had Miklantaluti, and we know that failed. Right. So there was, and I do mean failed on all accounts, right? This guy really, yeah. Yeah. What would you care? Because it's back to what you said. That I agree with you 100%, understanding that. You meant yeah. from the Antibluvian Methuselah angle. Why would they give a shit? Right. To that credit, though, why do all of them give a shit? Well, apparently they do, because Tordor <laughs> right. and Ventru, and right. they all have right. something in the pie, but you're absolutely right. This dude, nah. Yeah, so, um, I mean, that's my perspective on the Gangrel clan uh, and the Gangrel clan book as a whole. I think it's well-written, and I, I, I certainly think that anybody playing Gangrel, um, even in a V20 time period, this really, to me, works quite well right into to V20, especially with all the newer books that have come out and, you know, some things we may be reviewing here in a little bit. Um I think to me, the Gangrel clan, they are 
I've always found them to be fairly one-dimensional, but the task for me has been to take that one-dimensional clan and turn it into, like I said before, a three-dimensional character. It's kind of like an empty palette for me, and I can paint any picture on top of it that I want. And the thing is, is that the clan gang girl that does the best with it is understanding that your marriage to the beast, that's where your focus is, is what your predatory life is, your existence. And in that one dimension, you could see it that way, but they're about the personal experience. That especially, right? They don't have the political structure that the normal clans do. So your life is going to be different than any other gangrels, you right. know, and more so than for the same reasons we've already mentioned. But what's important is your beast is you. I'd say to be a gangrel, you're cursed with enjoying the, the, the beast inside of you. And it's how do you curb it? How do you keep it distant? How do you keep evolving with that inside while right. retaining who you are? And so in this book, it gets into paths. I actually mentioned the path of uh, Feral Heart in there. has an excerpt about all the other Sabbat paths and of the Gangrel, what life would be like if they were on it briefly or not. You know, once again, shining home that the paths are not just for the Sabbat. The Sabbat make it a point to push everyone towards that because they're waging a war and they don't have time for people worried about accidentally killing anyone. They want you to believe in who you are. But the Gangrel, different ball of wax. Uh, none, none more intimate with their disciplines, I would argue, than Clan Gangrel as well. Oh, absolutely. When you look at animalism, they own animalism. That's not, I mean, they got unique usages. Just like Nosferatu have unique usages, but this one, they own. Like, they talk about Quell the Beast being able to pull a vampire out of frenzy. Or a werewolf. Or anybody who loses it because their beast understands what's going on. And that beast easily lends you its power to do so. Right. Through animalism to do that. I, I think that the one key that you can take away from uh, powers and disciplines and stuff and, and unique usages of them from this book and really any book period is as a storyteller, and this I, I feel is imperative, as a storyteller, there's no right or wrong answers to anything that you do. But the best way to move forward with adapting and changing the foundations is, is give it a story reason or make it one of those situations where you're like, that's never happened before. Why is that happening now? I feel like if if you just product dump, you know, if you feature dump your disciplines uh, on your players and go, oh, well, you know, the accepted dynamic that's in the book, well, I just do it differently. Well, that doesn't really give an explanation, right? The key, and, and I, I want everyone who listens to this and listens to our other podcast to take this point away from us. We are all about story. Right in any game that we play, if you can give a an interesting and story driven reason why something happens, there isn't really a wrong answer. There's right. a right answer, and the answer is that was fucking entertaining. And I think that's it. And and this gives us and all of these clan books do that. They give us these kind of cues to like integrate things into our story and and change. There's nothing wrong with uniqueness. It's just uniqueness for the sake of just you know eh, it's a goof day i'm gonna be a goofy guy that's you know maybe not the best course to take but if you can tell a really good story with that you should and this clan book kind of gives you a lot of those cues and if anyone's going to pick it up and you're not a gang girl fan and why should i get it it's this point alone when i talk about their merits flaws their powers and their usages it's actually telling you how to get intimate with your disciplines to understand what it is to be a vampire a lot clearer than the other clan books. Uh, I feel that even uh, even the Venture clan book kind of explains uh, Dominate kind of kind of like a head trick. Mm-hmm. It is, but it isn't. Dominate's a smashing of your will into someone else's. And, you know, they later on make that distinction 
But at this point with revised, people don't necessarily, they never caught that. Mm -hmm. I always felt it was the vampire mesmerism that they're notorious for, right? Traditionally. But then people thought it was just hypnotism at the end of the day. Like everyone remembers the reflective eyeglasses. Well, I mean, I I feel like if you look all the way back to the beginning, what that discipline was called and even what it's called now, I mean, there really isn't any room for question as to what it is. It was called domination. Right. It wasn't called manipulation. It wasn't called like, hey, I got a little bit of hidden (laughs) tricks. It's called domination or dominate. It is meant to dominate your will. I am stronger. I am more powerful. And I dominate you. But it's a key term that we always, what we've said. I remember storytelling with you and LARP and and everybody would come at us about what the specific powers meant. Mm -hmm. And we were always like, yeah, but why don't you read under the heading of dominate before you get to the powers? What does it say? And then you give them time and they're like, oh, now I get what you're saying. Right. And it's like, that's all it is. It's slow down to understand. Now, why do I bring this up? The hardest thing for a storyteller or player to do is to portray something they're not. And that is being an undead creature. So it's defining what that beast is, defining what a vampire is. And then being able to see it in your mind and being able to describe it Mm -hmm. and live it. And they give good tips and tricks in here on that. Right. And uh, for me, one of the reasons why it would even be worthwhile mentioning this is because we get a little taste at the beginning of this book when they when they have the the obligatory story. Oh, I forgot about the story. Yep. There there's a fight that happens and in one of those little snippets they describe this character who's fighting another Gangrel who is the sheriff of this domain that he goes and he shops in. And you'll read it. But you know, he's talking about in the middle of a fight smelling something that smells a little bit of wood and bleach and and just a tiny bit of vomit. And this dude, in the middle of a fight, somehow his senses are so attuned and acute that he's able to pick up that over yonder, there's a mop. Right. And, and, and he uses this to, you know, to, for his survival. But it's like those little things that, you know, sitting at a table rolling dice, we often don't get the opportunity to talk about. We don't often get the ability to be flowery with our, our understanding and descriptions of those disciplines. And I think it's really important, and I'll get off my soapbox and we'll wrap this podcast up, but, you know, they're not just a bunch of powers in a book. Right. Right. They are at the at the heart of things, but like everything else, this is meant to be a story cue. It's meant for you to be able to describe the subtle differences between individuals. You know, it's not meant to just be like roll the dice this is your power thank you have a nice day you have three dots you should do it because i only have two right is that true right probably not it depends on the usage and the situation right we meet in the middle on those descriptions right and 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 we should take the opportunity to be as creative as possible you know if uh there have been a number of occasions sitting at a table as a storyteller where I was like, I don't know how the players are going to get through this. Like, man, they really dug themselves into a hole. And somebody was like, hey, you know, I have this. And would it be possible if I did this? And it's a little bit different than what it says in the book. But like, I'd like to try that. And I'm like, shit, that sounds like a good idea. It's one I hadn't thought of. Why would I begrudge you of that creativity? Right. You know, as long as it's within the scope of your ability, your capability as a character. And even if it's a little bit outside of, does it make for a good story? And that's what powers are overall. It's a scope of what the vampire can do. And even if you ignored, if you just ignored what the powers were, right, and just looked at them at dot levels one through five, being the basis most people encounter, right, 
It's just saying how good you are at that basic. Right. My dominate. I am really good at getting people to do stuff with my will. Right. Because I am level three in it. I honestly think that um, to the credit of Mage, that's where they really, White Wolf kind of like succeeded because they said, creativity is your limit. Here's your scope. Here's your bubble. But. But I'm going to tell you, this is where they're <laughs> right. genius and they right. left it there because right. they said, you know, Vampire is really successful. Da, 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 da. Mage, we're going to have Sky's the Limit and then the mechanics behind it. Right. You know, I think a lot of people flock to that. That's another time right. I Absolutely. won't get into, but you know where I'm going, where your mind gets trapped in the mathematics and the how everything fits in place and, blah, blah, and the story suddenly is gone. Right. And the creative moment is gone. Creativity is in the moment. Right. right. It's in the moment. Oh, absolutely. Strike while the iron's hot. Right. And, and that's that's the one thing that uh, I would say before I wrap this up. We we played one mage LARP. And I think for us, it was fantastic because we knew like you have a general capability between A and B. And we were like, well, we just got to figure out how to make this seem realistic. Right. And we had so much power compared to other people who had stacked sheets and equipment. Right. Because the one thing the storyteller kept saying, I didn't think of that. Right. That's awesome. And what do you do when God backs what you're doing? <laughs> right, you don't right, fucking right. lose. I'll tell you that right, right now. Right, absolutely. And, and because we're creative guys, so off the cuff, it was just moment after moment after moment. We had basics, and we're eventually getting XP to give even more, but then the storyteller was like, oh, shit, they're about to get that second sphere level. Right. Well, and, you know, the, the concept of rotes were brought up to us. Like, these are things you can do really quickly, kind of like rituals. And we were like, well, we don't really know what that means. Right. But, you know, whatever, we'll figure it out. Or, this is limiting. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, well, and that was the thing. It was like, okay, so I have this this base capabilities to sort of manipulate reality to my benefit. But I have to make sure that what I do kind of makes sense within the realm of reality. And it was just like you know logic right it, it was made just like, sense right like okay here's the scene really quick i need to think of what i could do that would make somewhat sense and to me it was just like wow that's boundless that's awesome and i feel like to a large degree playing a vampire is the same thing but it just wasn't explicitly stated and now you reveal the secret you violated. You get no fizzy lifting drinks, Nate. <laughs> we are behind the screen with White Wolf on this. You just pay, don't pay attention to the man behind. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, pick up this clan book, read it. You know, get some of those those other dimensions built out on your character. And love the Gangrel for who they are and not what they've become or and what hug they them. will be. Hug them and plant one tree. Yes. Plant a tree in a Gangrel's name. That seems dismissive. I'm I'm not. I'm I serious. I'm serious. No, what I what I'm highlighting is is remember you're not werewolves. Right. Be the no, vampire. Yeah, absolutely. You are. Yeah. No, werewolves will fucking kill you. Uh that needs to be established right off the bat. And honestly, that's like an axe to grind for me a little bit, since since this is the Gangrel podcast mm -hmm. podcast here. Um the fact is is that there's so many players of werewolf that go, fine, I'll play vampire, I'll be a gangrel. you you give it a bad name. Why? Because and I will state that. I will have that opinion. Here's why. Right. You're entitled to your opinion, Bob. You need to know that. Here's why. I like werewolves. I like Werewolf the Apocalypse. I like what they stand for. They are not Gangrel. No, not right? at all. Gangrel are cursed to be as the beasts that they roam with, that they dominate, that they're the kings of, right? But they're always the predators. Werewolves are animistic. They pay homage to the spirits of the animals they kill. They're there to protect that which is good 
and of nature. And there's a distinctive difference. And also, they are 900-pound super-killing machines <laughs> at birth, right. right? They come out the gate killing you and everyone you came with, right? They're prepped for it. Gaia willed that, right? Gangrel, I used to be a 7-Eleven clerk who goes hiking out back for the last year. And because I dropped some weight and I handled the shit job and I'd make do with what I can and I started barbecuing roadkill because daddy needs protein in his diet, I got embraced. I just want to levy this. We talked earlier about Mark Decker, right? And if you want to know about the, uh, the, the love and friendship that the Gangrel and the Lupines share, just read Milwaukee by Night. Or read some new stuff. Or pay attention to the book of Nod, right? <laughs> where, it, where it tells you the warning of lupines and what they will do to you. Because at the end of the day, your humanity eventually dips low enough to where they will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. You become the worm. Anyways, that's the end of the Gang Girl podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Next week, we will be reviewing the Torador clan book for another installment in what I like to call Two Months of Clan Books. <laughs> so stay tuned we're gonna MC. have uh we're gonna have a an additional episode of 25 years of vampire the masquerade uh today because a thing has happened that i don't think has happened well maybe it's happened but i we haven't noticed it but a new book came out a new vampire the masquerade book and instead of waiting two years to review it we're gonna review it when it's still like semi people haven't read it it's relevant yeah, it's it's super relevant, and typically we aren't. Let's um, end it. Let's yeah, end it. Get to it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to it. So thank you. Goodbye. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye.